This is The Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I am Pastor Joe Faldet. Our sermon today is looking at Judges 1, verses 11 through 21. And there we're looking at the relationships that the Israelites had with Caleb, the Kenite, with the other Kenites that existed in the wilderness and their relationship with God and what that teaches us about our relationship with God and our relationship with those around us. Judges 1, verses 11 through 21. They read in Jesus' name. From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksha, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him Aksha, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And the descendants of the Kenites, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the people of Judah, from the city of Palms, into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev, near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother. And they defeated the Canaanites, who inhabited Zephath, and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Judah also, Judah also captured Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was, was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain, because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said. And he drove out from there, from it, the three sons of Anak, from the people of Benjamin, But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, I ask that you would bless us, grant us wisdom, Lord, to be able to apply these truths that we find within your word that are there, that are your word into our lives, or that we might become like Christ. Lord, that you would change us and sanctify us through your word, for it is truth. Lord, we thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And so you might be wondering, why in the world are we looking at Caleb again since we looked at Caleb last week? Well, that's, it was intentional, because as we didn't get through the whole sermon, I looked back through all of the passages that we were looking at, and as as I was looking at that, I decided, you know, one of the things about story is that it, could, it can be not interpreted, but it can be applied in many ways. And so as we, it, as we understand the story, we then look at it and try to figure out what does this teach us or what can we learn about our lives. And I really don't like, and I, I use it sometimes, but I really don't like the phrase what is God trying to teach me? Or what is this story trying to teach me? And one of the reasons for that is the same reason um, that J.R.R. Tolkien doesn't like allegory. He said, because within allegory, the author is trying to, is forcing you into a single area, into a single interpretation. Whereas the reality of history 
is that as we read it and interpret it, we include, we, or it, uh, how did he say it? It describes the lives that we live. And so then we understand more broadly, there's all sorts of applications that we can take from any single piece of history, from any single story, all sorts of applications, not interpretations, but applications. So it's not a single thing that God's trying to teach us, but a multitude of things that we can learn that God uses these stories to teach us. So one of the things that we learn, or one of the things that we can apply this story to our lives with, is with Caleb, and how do we, how do we decide who are insiders in our lives? Because that goes back to the question that Linda asked last week, you know, what, how do we know, or how do we deal with people that we can't get out of our lives? You know, because toxic people that are in our lives, but we don't have to make them insiders. How do we decide who do we let, who we let into our inner circle? And we have to ask this question as individuals, and we need to ask this question then as a congregation then of individuals. Who do we let into the insides of our world? And part of that then, we see with Caleb. Do you know who Caleb is? What tribe did Caleb belong to? Do any of you remember? The Kenites. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't an Israelite. He was a Kenite. He was a descendant of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. Or of that tribe. And Caleb, though, is interesting because Caleb was one of the 12 spies. You know, he was, he was one of the minority report spies, too. Because you had 10, you know, 12 men went to spy on Canaan. You remember that song? 10 were bad and 2 were good. 12 men went to spy on Canaan. But within that story, there were 10 bad spies, 10 spies that looked at all the negative things of the land. They looked at the giants. They saw all of the problems. They saw all of the all of the dangers, they saw all of the fears that existed and they focused on that and they said, let's not go. These guys are big. These guys are strong. This is a battle that we don't want to fight. And then you've got two guys, Caleb and Joshua, who said, I don't care how big they are. We have God. We're going to go. Caleb was one of those. Caleb was a man that trusted God. Caleb was a man that walked with God. Caleb was someone that stood his ground and focused on the Lord instead of focusing on the difficulty. You know, there's quite a difference there. And so Caleb, even though he was a Kenite, was brought into the fold and he was actually given land. He asked Moses for this land. He said, I want that land. Moses said, yeah, take it. Have it. It's yours. Was it Moses? Joshua. Well, it's been a while since I've read the book of Joshua. I need to do that again. But I think it was Joshua, actually, that he spoke to. He spoke to Joshua, and he said, I want this land. Joshua said, take it, if you can take it. He was 80 years old at this time. You know, how about that, Laverne? You ready to go and conquer some Anakites? <laughs> he was in his 80s. That's pretty good. So Caleb was a Kenite, and Caleb was brought in. And one of the things that we see with Caleb is his zeal for the Lord, his zeal to obey God, to bring forward the desires of God. And this is who we seek to make insiders into our lives, people that connect with the goal that God has set for us. 
You know, who, what has God called us to do? As a church, what has God called us to do? Isn't it to bring forward the kingdom of God? To bring that into this world as well as we can? You know, through prayer, through preaching of the word, through proclamation of the word, through kindness, generosity, through living out the Christian walk. Everywhere we go, this is what we're called to do. Don't we want the kingdom of God in our world to a greater degree? Like, that's what we want. Why are all these problems going on in America? Why are these problems going on all over the world? Because people don't know God. They don't trust Jesus. That's the heart of them. That's the foundation of them. That's the bottom of all of them. And so our call as Christians is to bring the kingdom of God into this world. Who do we bring into our midst as Christians? Who do I bring into my midst as a Christian? It's those who have that goal. Who seek to bring the kingdom of God into this world. If that's my goal, then those are the people that I want to be my friends. Those are the people that I take counsel from. I was reading on Twitter, someone said, never accept criticism from someone that you wouldn't accept advice from. And I thought, that's good advice. Obviously, I accept advice from this guy. So if he came to criticize me, I would probably listen to him. Um, but that's good advice. Why would we look to the world for advice? How do we look to the world for criticism? Why do we look for those who don't follow the Lord? We don't look at those and say, well, what, what should we do? We look to God. And we look to godly people. How, how should we bring this forward? How can we move the kingdom of God forward? We bring those people into our lives. Those who have a zeal for the Lord. And that's what Caleb is showing. He's giving his daughter as a prize for the man who seeks the Lord and seeks to complete the Lord's will. Now, you know, within our modern world of marriage, this is kind of shocking to people. He gave his daughter away? Like, well, you know what? Our romantic ideals of marriage really didn't start existing until, um, well, some people have said the 1800s. Other people have said the 1500s. And so everywhere before that, marriages were arranged. Just the way they were. And so Caleb arranged the marriage. What was the stipulation? You go and attack, carry the sephir. You bring forward the kingdom of God into this world. So why did he do that? Well, that's the way they did things. But who did he pick? He picked someone that would lead forward the kingdom of God, that had zeal for the kingdom of God. And that shows Caleb's zeal for the kingdom of God. It's not about the man who's rich. It's not about the man who's powerful. It's about the man who seeks to bring forward the kingdom of God, who seeks the Lord. And that's who Caleb is. And so who do we make? Who did Judah make one of their insiders? A Kenite who followed the Lord. An outsider became an insider because that outsider followed the Lord. Sought the Lord. Had zeal for the kingdom of God. That's who we want in our midst. Because that's who we want to be. Why don't we accept advice from those who don't follow the Lord? Because it's going to lead us away from God. That's a terrible idea. So who do we accept into our midst? Those who have zeal from the Lord. As a congregation, we strive to do this, but then also as individuals. Who do we let as insiders? Who do we bring in in intimacy into our lives? It's those who have zeal for the Lord. Because our close friendships, our close acquaintances, those people who are tight in our lives, they're going to have huge influences in our lives. Our goals, our plans, our ends, our means, the way that we interact with this world, the way that we interact with God, that's going to be changed 
by those people we let into our inner circle. You guys have seen this in your lives, right? That's what Paul talks about when he says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. If you bring in bad people into your lives, bad fruit's going to come out of that. Bad company corrupts good character. If we bring bad people into our lives, bad fruit comes up out of that. It doesn't have to be sinful people. Maybe it's people that are drawing us down, pulling us back. Maybe it's the periphery. And then we get an image of the periphery. And this is what struck me. Who are these people? And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the people of Judah, from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev. This is the same tribe as Caleb. These are the Kenites. So Caleb was a Kenite who had zeal for the Lord, that the Lord's kingdom, the kingdom of God was central in his life, and he sought that. And so Judah, you know, through the inspiration of Joshua, you know, the, the nation of the tribe of Judah, not the nation at this point, the tribe of Judah gave Caleb this land through Joshua. God worked that through Joshua that this Kenite would go and conquer this area. These Kenites, though, they didn't have an inheritance. These Kenites identified themselves primarily as Kenites, not as followers of God. There's a distinction there. What was their goal? That was, it was about their tribe. It was about their people. These Kenites were on the periphery. They were those who existed around Judah, on the edges, in the wilderness. And now this is important for us to know too. Those who are called, well, those who are similar, maybe I'll use that word, those who are similar, who follow the Lord to a degree, we don't kick them out. But we don't let them be Caleb's. We don't let them be insiders. We don't let them into our hearts and into our counsels. We don't let them be the ones giving us advice, giving us guidance, giving us wisdom. They exist on the periphery. They exist in the wilderness. They're not bringing forward the kingdom of God. That's not their goal. If the goal, their goal was to bring forward the kingdom of God, there's lots of work to be done. But they went and they went up from the city of Palms and they landed off in the wilderness. What did they do in the wilderness? They dwelt amongst the people. That word people there in the Hebrew? Goyim. Who are the Goyim? They dwelt among the Gentiles. Good job, Beth. The Hebrew scholar here. They dwelt among the Gentiles. And so they were compromised. These Kenites didn't. How do we know that they didn't have zeal for the Lord? Because they didn't remove the sinful people from their midst. They didn't seek purity. They didn't seek the kingdom of God in the wilderness of Judah. They didn't seek to bring the wilderness of Judah into Israel. They just dwelt among the people. They lived like the rest of the people. And ultimately they became like the rest of the people. When Saul came and killed the Amalekites, finally, the Kenites were told, either you get out or you die with them. 
And some of them left and some of them didn't. They threw in their lot with the Amalekites. And that's dangerous. And as a pastor, that's scary. Because what happens if our goal is just to grow our numbers as a church? What happens if my goal is just to grow my friendship group, my influence, my, the amount of people that I know or that you know, I interact with here in St. James, the surrounding area? What happens if our goal is numbers? We're going to end up bringing people into our lives or prestige or whatever, whatever goal you set. If the goal of your life is not the kingdom of God, but some other goal, you will end up bringing in ungodly people in order to bolster your stand. If my goal is money, ungodly people are pretty good at getting money. If my goal is prestige, you know, I probably wouldn't see Hosanna as being the church that I would pastor. There's a lot more, more, there's a lot bigger, more famous, more well-known churches in the AFLC. You're not even just in the AFLC. I could move to a different denomination. If that was my goal, or if our goal was to get more people into our church, you know, all we'd have to do is water ourselves down. We could water ourselves down. We could try to make ourselves more attractional. Try to bring in more people. Maybe don't talk about sin so much and repentance and all that stuff. What would we do? What do we do when we compromise with the world? We become like them. And then what good are we? We're not good. We have to be ultimately kicked out of our land. Now, there's still good ones in this because, you know, in the story of Deborah and Barak, the, the lady, Jael, who drives the tent pig through Sisera's head. Judges is a brutal book. Um, she was a Kenite, too. You know, so good people come out of this. But as a whole, they just compromised. They gave themselves over to sin. So what happens to us when we live within the periphery, when we don't seek with zeal the kingdom of God into our lives? We don't seek with zeal the kingdom of God into this world. When that isn't our goal, when we have some other goal, we start to bring in counselors and advisors from the land. We bring them into our lives, and ultimately we become compromised. Does that make sense? This is a danger that we have. This is a danger. This danger exists within every church. This danger exists within every family. This danger exists within every life. That we would bring in sinful people into our lives. And when I say sinful, we all, we all have sin in our lives. I understand that. But what about the people who don't repent? Who embrace their sin? Who run with their sin? Those are the people that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the person who's struggling against their sin. I embrace that person and say, hey, I'll walk with you. But the one who says, you know what, I'm a sinner, and that's just the way that I am. Stand there and say, no, it's not what God has called you to be. God has called you to bring the kingdom of God into this world, and you're not doing it. You've compromised with the world. Jim. So, okay, so I'm just a little bit confused. Um, no. <laughs> No, the Kenites didn't settle in the land. Good question. So Jim asked, is where the Kenites settled, was that land given to Caleb? No, that was land given to Judah. And the wilderness then is the place where there weren't enough Judeans at this point to completely fill the land. And so then the wilderness is the place that was the Negev. It was the bad land 
It was the, and there's lessons in there too, but I'm not getting into all those. But it was in the, it was in the bad land right on the edges of Judah. And so that was the wilderness. So where was the area that Caleb? Caleb was in Hebron. And so if it was just south of Simeon. Where Simeon was was Hebron and Debir in that area. But then further south was where the Kenites were in the Negev. And there were herdsmen and whatnot. But so were a lot of the Judeans. But yeah, so the, the Kenites were in the Negev area. That was the wilderness. It was, un, it was south, you know, there weren't a lot of people there, but there were some cities. And they just went and they dwelt with the local inhabitants. They took the image of the world upon themselves so that they would fit in. But Caleb's family would not have been... Caleb's family wasn't part of that. Okay. But Caleb fought the Anakim and defeated them and cleared out his land, made a pure land, you know, a, a land of people that sought the Lord. That was Caleb's goal. With the Kenites, that wasn't their goal. They just want to live in peace. Thanks, Jim. Any other questions? And so that's our relationship to people. How about our relationships to circumstances? And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites, who inhabited Zephath, and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Judah also captured Gaza with its territories, and Ashkelon with its territories, and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah. And so who did Judah give credit to? Who does the author of the book of Judges give credit to for the conquests and for the successes of Judah? God. Who do we often, who do we, uh, maybe I should just say I, who do I often give credit to for my successes? I. <laughs> I like to take credit for my successes. And then when I have failures, I like to blame other people. Or maybe God, when I'm feeling particularly sinful. <laughs> you know, this is my natural tendency. This is within my soul. I have seen it. I have witnessed it. I've experienced it. Um, this is me. When things are going really well, I like to pat myself on the back and say, good job, Joe. See all the good things that you have done. But the lesson we learn here is what brings about our successes. It's not our goodness. It's not our greatness. It's not our power. It's not our wisdom. It's not even our holiness or our righteousness. It's our God. When we have successes in our lives and in our lands, it's God. And so that's why we need to seek God for those successes. We need to give God credit and glory when those successes come. You know that he is the one to be praised for this. But then there's something really interesting that's said right afterwards. But they were not able. And, yeah. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. So then the question comes, well, where's God? Where's God in this? You know, if God gave them success in the hill country, isn't God more powerful than chariots of iron? You know, we see this when they battle Sisera, that God defeats Sisera using the Jewish people, and Sisera had chariots of iron. No, they had chariots. I don't remember if they're iron or not, so don't quote me on that. But they had chariots, and, you know, Deborah and Barak. They had chariots, and God defeated all of them. So why couldn't God defeat these guys? You know, that's a great question. We don't know. It's not that, not that God couldn't. It's that Judah couldn't. 
And you know, I think that's important. And it, I think to some degree it's important that we don't specify why. Because God doesn't specify why. And so we have to leave this ambiguous. Because as we try to apply this into our lives, there might be all sorts of reasons why. And maybe it's not a singular reason. Maybe it's not because the Jewish people were less than holy at this point. But maybe it's because they couldn't control the land. Maybe it's because, you know, they weren't, they weren't powerful enough. Maybe it's because they were becoming proud. And so God gave them a loss. You know, maybe they weren't organized enough to keep the land. Maybe they were too proud. Maybe they were starting to get sin in their lives. Maybe they were starting to compromise. You know, maybe... Maybe God had another lesson to teach these Philistines. Maybe God was waiting for this for a later time. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We've got all these maybes. And as I sit and think about these maybes, it really teaches me something. So that when things aren't going according to my plan, maybe God's got something to teach me in this. Maybe it's not a single thing. Maybe it's a lot of things. You know, why, why do I still struggle with some of the sins that I struggle with? Why do I battle those? Maybe God's trying to teach me a couple of things. This, you know, a situation or a hardship. You know, like, when I asked for prayer for counseling for a little while, a little while ago, because some of these counseling situations I end up getting myself in are just way bigger than me because, uh, because I'm me. And I'm like, why haven't these come to fruit yet? Why haven't we seen, you know, the righteousness that we know that could come out of these situations? Why hasn't that happened yet? It's like, well, maybe God's trying to teach me patience. I know, that's hard to believe, right? That God would be trying to teach someone patience. I don't know what God's trying to teach me. But there's a lot of things that I can learn in this. I can learn all sorts of things. I can learn that I'm not very powerful. I can learn that I don't actually have much influence over the lives of other people. That's something that I can learn. I, sometimes I have to learn to confront people. Sometimes I have to learn to be gracious to people. You know, and I have to learn all of these things because I wasn't just born knowing this stuff. I'm Norwegian. So we learn. And so why was it that the, Jew, the Jews, the Judeans weren't able to conquer the Philistines who had chariots of iron? We don't know. There's probably 15 reasons. Maybe there's 500 reasons. God said, I'm not just going to narrow it down. I'm going to broaden it out. Because as we apply these things into our lives, we have to leave it broad and say, all right, God, I'm still dealing with this situation, but I learned this one thing. Shouldn't it be done now? Like, I've learned patience. Now give it, now give me what I want. <laughs> That's not the way it works. So why was it that the Jews, because the, the Judeans were Jews, they weren't able. They could not. It's not that they would not. It's that they could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Here's the physical problem. It's yet to be surmounted. It gets surmounted later, but at this point, it's not done. They haven't conquered them yet. Why? What? Because they didn't. They've experienced not conquering, which means at this point, they have lessons to learn and they have room to grow. And until they have grown in all of the areas that God wants them to grow in, they're going to continue to deal with these people. But once they have grown to that end, during the days of King David, King David wiped them out. They had peace with all of them. Drove them out of the land. 
And so as they grew, became a nation. But yeah, there's another reason. Huh. They weren't a nation yet. They were just tribes. You know, maybe that was one of the things that God was trying to teach them. As they grew as a people, God brought peace. But it was God who did it through his man at his time. So as we apply these things into our lives, these struggles that we have, how many of you guys have ever had a struggle in your life? Anybody here? (laughs) A couple of you? Because I know some of you are still having struggles in your lives right now. Leave that open. Ask God, okay, God, what can I learn? How through this can I grow? Amen. Let us pray. Thank you for listening today. We can also be found online at HosannaFreeLutheran.com, our YouTube channel, Hosanna Free Lutheran Church, or you could come to our worship service, worship at 10 a.m. and Sunday school at 9 a.m.